Good morning. Great to be with you all this morning, to worship with you. Everybody feel good vibes when you came in today? Have you guys, you've seen the good vibes stuff, right? You go to this, any store, you'll see good vibes t-shirts, stickers, whatever. I hate that phrase. No, I'm kidding. No, I did. I, for the longest time, I hated that phrase, good vibes, you know, good vibes only. I know Jeremy Kaywood loves it. It's one of his favorite, favorite phrases of all time. Good vibes only. Well, it's not a new expression, good vibes only. It's been around for a while in one form or the other, right? Maybe you're thinking good vibrations. That's been around. You're dressed like it today, too. He's got his good vibration shirt on. Uh, anyway, for the longest time, I kind of hated that expression, good vibes only, you know, because I kind of felt like it was people that said that maybe had a simplistic way of looking at life, you know, kind of like que Sarah or whatever, you know, good vibes, man, just whatever, bro. <laughs> good vibes. Anyway, so I looked up the meaning of good vibes. Where did this come from? What's it mean? Here's what dictionary.com tells us. Good vibes is a slang phrase for the positive feelings given off by a person, place, or situation. I can roll with that, you know. Some people giving off good vibes or uh, maybe some experience you had. We just went camping this weekend. I had some good vibes at the campground. I don't know if that's scientific or not, but who uses the phrase good vibes? Probably not anyone here, but uh, it, I, it goes on to tell us at, in dictionary.com that good vibes uh, is used by hippies, so that's probably why I relate to it, uh, but it's associated to some extent with people who are part of New Age, surf, and bohemian cultures, so I don't know. That's who's using the good vibes phrase. But I've, changed, I've had a change of heart over the last several months. I've embraced the good vibes only message because I felt like, you know what, I'm going to hijack it. I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to use it how I want to use it, right? That's what we do, just steal it, steal it back. So good vibes only. It's more like God vibes, right? Because that's what we're talking about, God vibes. I think all of us, as believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus Christ, should be good vibes people. We really should be. I mean, when you think about it, because we should all have positive feelings that flow from our relationship with Jesus Christ, flow from our fellowship uh, with other believers, being in worship, right? And you can leave here with God vibes, so to speak. So if anyone on the planet should be known for giving off positive feelings, you know, or, or vibes, if you will, it should be the people of God. Amen? Because we are a blessed people. We should always be positive. Of course, there are times when we're not. But as a follower of Jesus, who's uh, uh, a recipient of, of God's amazing grace and eternal salvation and the Holy Spirit and all that we have, the family of Christ, man, we should be a vibing church. We should, name, we should change the name of the church. Good Vibes Bible Church. It's a marketing campaign. We'll roll with it. We should be a people of positive feelings because we're called to be a people like that. Actually, God says that he empowers us to be a people like that. I think uh, the theme verse for good vibes should be Philippians 4.8. It 
Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is, is excellent or praiseworthy, vibe on these things. <laughs> Think about such things, right? So that's kind of the good vibes theme verse that I, for me anyway. Uh, but that's really the message of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, where we'll spend the remainder of our time here this morning, if you're not there already. For those that are uh, maybe visiting today, we've been traveling through 1 Peter and just looking at what Peter writes to these scattered uh, Christians who were displaced from their home country because of persecution and their faith, and they're having a hard time. Uh, they're ostracized by their society. Uh, they're far from home. They have to start over. They're, you know, there's a lot of bad vibes going on in the, these Christians' lives. And so Peter writes, and he's trying to instruct them and encourage them and help them in their time of trouble. And he's essentially saying in chapter uh, 3, verses 8 to 12, hey, good vibes, believers. You need to have good vibes towards one another. Uh, if there ever is a place where you should get those good vibes, a place to be encouraged, a place to feel loved and accepted, a place to not be judged or criticized, it should be the church. Amen? But why does it seem like that's the one place where you are <laughs> judged and criticized oftentimes or discouraged? Uh, that seems to be the trend lately. Uh, you know, I have family members who to this day do not attend church have not attended church for decades because of a bad situation that they had at a church. It was a person, a relationship, right? Something happened. Bad vibes, bro. And they had a bad interaction with someone from church, usually someone in some type of leadership. You never know. But to this day, they have not stepped foot in a church, um, generally speaking, over the years because of something that happened in a church. Why is it? Why does the church always seem to be guilty of, of hurting people in this way? But I think that's unfortunately common, and we'll talk about that. Why? I mean, why would Peter write what he wrote here this morning uh, to encourage these people? So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18, or excuse me, 8 to 12. Just a heads up, we're only going to get to the first point today. We'll pick it up next week because there's so much here but starting verse 8 Peter writes to sum up all of you be harmonious sympathetic loving compassionate and humble not returning evil for evil or insult for insult but giving a blessing instead for you were called for the very purpose that you would be that you would uh, inherit a blessing for the one who desires life to love and see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Verse 11, he must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ear attended to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against evildoers. Father, we just want to pray yet again this morning. We uh, are in constant need of your Holy Spirit's illumination of our mind to understand what's here, to go beyond the surface and what we see that may be obvious 
and to get to the heart of what you're doing in our lives. Jesus, you know I need this message more than anyone. My heart needs to be challenged in this area, and I'm sure that others do as well. Help us, God, we pray, as we look to your word to welcome you into the private parts of our life, that you may uh, uncover what needs to be uncovered for us to deal with the things that we need to deal with so that we can be a people that honor you with our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first point that I think Peter's making is, in verse 8 is good vibes, bro. Good vibes only. Give good vibes, as he says. All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble. Another translation says be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and humble. And so Peter's writing to tell these believers how to live your life as an alien in this world. Remember, we're sojourners. We're pilgrims. We are citizens of heaven living a temporary life out, temporary residency out here on this planet Earth. This world's not our home. It doesn't make sense. We shouldn't get too comfortable and too settled. We don't buy into the, the philosophy of the world and how they say you should live and what you should live for. No, God says you're here as a stranger and as a pilgrim, live for eternity. Live your life in a way that's pleasing to God. Live as an alien and as a stranger, Peter said in the opening verses of this book. And so he's instructing them, how do you do that? He's already talked about how they can relate to government authorities, if you recall that section. He's told them how to relate to uh, an employer. He talks about slaves and masters, but the uh, connection to employees and employers is there. How, how do you relate to your spouse? How do husbands relate to wives and wives to husbands and families? And he's helping everyone in their relationships with the world, with their families, and now he's talking about the church. How do you relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? And what I'm gathering from this passage is that Peter is saying how we relate to one another as believers in Jesus has a lot to do with our maturity as a believer in Jesus Christ. And, catch this, how we relate to one another, our unity, our fellowship with one another, our relationships within the church, has everything to do with our effectiveness as a church. We don't just go through the motions. We pray and we expect God to work through us and to use us and to help us to be a light to a community. And we'll talk about that more here in just a moment. But it goes without saying, but we'll say it anyway. There's a lot riding on how we respond to passages like this as a church. In verse 8, we find uh, five adjectives in a row in the Greek. And they all have to do with our feelings or our emotions, except the first one, which is be harmonious or like-minded. But, you know, side note, we are an emotional people, right? I'm a very emotional person. I express myself. Um, my, I wear my heart on my sleeve, as, as you've heard it said, and I'm just kind of expressive that way. You'll know when I'm upset or happy or, you know, whatever. If I want to slap you, you'll know. No. Uh, I'm just kind of wired that way, and that's not always a bad thing. It can be a bad thing. But we're all emotional beings. And so Peter says, hey, you need to be like-minded. It's the Greek word, uh, two Greek words, which mean one mind. 
but it could mean have the same attitude. You think of Philippians when you hear that passage, right? Have this attitude. We all need to have the same attitude as followers of Jesus. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you're called, along with all believers everywhere, to be like-minded with other believers. And that may be confusing to some. You hear that, that phrase, like-minded, and you think, how in the world can we all think the same about things? And that's not what the admonition is here. We all have diverse backgrounds. We have different upbringings. I love to hear uh, and get to know new people that come to our church that, that join and, and that we hear where they came from. A lot of different religious backgrounds, a lot of different uh, social backgrounds or whatever, it's diverse, and I love that. That's the way the body of Christ should be. But the call here isn't for uniformity, but it's for unity, and there's a different thing. Because we're not going to agree on everything. That would be impossible. We have different expressions, different ideas, different uh, things that we uh, agree and don't agree on. But unity and uniformity are two different things. We're not called to agree on everything and be uniform, but we're called to be like-minded and have the same attitude. So that's what he's talking about. Here's how you operate. Here's how, here's how your attitude should be towards your brother or sister in Christ. And here are the four that will follow. The first one is, he says, to be sympathetic. To be sympathetic. The word means to be uh, to suffer with another person by entering into and sharing the feelings of that person rather than by having compassion on him or her from a distance. Sympathizing implies bearing one another's burdens. Do you get the understanding there? It really is more of an empathy. Because they say there in that definition, it's one thing to see someone's pain and suffering from a distance. When you see hurricanes come through a part of our country, shootings that happen, you watch on, on the news and you see from a distance and your heart goes out and you sympathize, right? It's another thing, it's a God thing when you draw close and you see somebody up close and personal going through a hardship. And I think that's what is in mind here. Put yourself in someone else's shoes. Be empathetic about the suffering or the struggle or the challenge that this person, this brother or sister may be going through. Because that's what Jesus did for all of us, right? That's what Jesus actually does for us every single day. He is a sympathetic high priest. He empathizes with our weaknesses, right? Hebrews 4.15 one translation actually uses the word empathy, and it tells us we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. What, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is Jesus gets us. He understands what it's like to walk in our shoes, because he too walked in our shoes in that sense. He knows what it's like to suffer unjustly. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He knows what it's like to be ridiculed and rejected. He knows 
what it's like to live as a stranger and an alien in this world. So as Jesus empathizes with you and your plight and your suffering, so you need to empathize with your brother and sister in Christ. And you don't have to go through the same circumstances that someone else goes through to empathize with someone. I think it could be helpful. You ever have somebody that's been through stuff like what you've been through and you have that connection, you know, and uh, it's like when there's really humble, good-looking people, I empathize with them. I understand how hard it is. I'm just kidding. But no, really, when you have someone that's been through something that you've been through and that's connections there and that empathy and that helps a lot of times doesn't necessarily mean you have to we've not all been through everything that someone else if that were true if you only had to go through something that someone else went through in order to sympathize and empathize and love them and help them well we'd be in trouble right we'd be on the internet finding people that have been through everything that we've been through so we could connect and find encouragement and help but that's not what's in mind here jesus empathized with us and what we experience in life and he calls us to do the same. Sometimes people say, oh, I know exactly what you're going through. You ever had someone to share that? Oh, I totally understand what you're going through. Sometimes it's a bit of an insult, isn't it? When they, maybe you know they haven't been through what you've been through. I don't always totally understand. But I love you. And I can imagine what it'd be like to go through what you're going through. Do you ever take time to do that? Like someone that has whatever, family issues, prodigal children, illnesses, troubles at work. Have you ever stopped and just said, and just and to yourself thought about what it would be like to walk in their shoes and experience and deal with the things that they deal with? That's called empathy. That's what Peter's saying here. Hey, you want to you honor God in your relationships in the church? You want to love each other as Jesus loves us? sympathize be sympathetic think about someone else's plight think about their life their circumstances put yourself in those shoes and then move towards those people that's the key not from a distance move towards them sometimes we like to move away from hurting people right because it's it's messy maybe we don't feel like we know how we would help and so we just kind of avoid people and we kind of just say oh wow you know I see what's going on over there, but, you know, who am I? I haven't been through that. I wouldn't know what to say. God says, you know what? Move toward them. Maybe literally. Maybe physically. Maybe you need to go visit them. Maybe it's a phone call. If few people do that anymore, phone calls. <laughs> Text message. Maybe it's an email. Uh, you guys, you met Ed Underwood last week. Ed, I've known Ed for several years. Uh, he's met Shayla, I think, once. Is that correct, Shay? one time, twice before, but that was all prior to her cancer diagnosis. And as you recall, if you were here, Ed um, also had cancer and nearly lost that battle. But he's alive and well today and still preaching and encouraging and helping. And he couldn't wait to, to, to come and visit us just so he could see Shayla. He said, I want to take you guys to dinner really just so I can just grab her, look her in the eye and tell her I love you. And I'm praying for you. That's all he wanted to do. And I tell you what, guys, it's a blessing. 
It's a blessing. He uh, called us a couple months ago after he had learned, and he just called us and just wept and just prayed with us over the phone. You don't have to go through something to do that, do you? Can anyone do that? Hey, I can imagine how hard this would be. I just want you to know I love you. I'm with you. I'm praying for you. A lot of you guys have done that for our family through this last uh, nine months that we've been here. Can't even begin to tell you how much it's ministered to our hearts. People empathizing. People that look to me. My nickname's the Cancer Shadow. So, (laughs) Gary, how's Shayla? (laughs) Why don't you go ask Shayla? No, I'm kidding, I'll say that. But when people just look at me, and uh, Dwayne Norman has been good at this, uh, when he sees me, just looks me in the eye and says, how are you doing? And some of you else have done that as well, and I appreciate that so much. But just to look to someone, move towards them, sympathize, up close and personal, is what God calls us to in the body of Christ. And then he says, secondly, to be loving, which kind of goes along with that. It's the expression to love one another. Do we know what it means to love one another? I don't know. I think we struggle with this. I know I do, certainly at times. How do we truly love one another? Well, the word here is the phileo word. It's the phileo love, the Philadelphia love, the brotherly love. It's not agape, which is interesting, because this type of love, Peter, the word that he uses here, really has to do with an emotional love for your brothers, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your family, not just the guys. To feel affection for them, pretending to love or affection for fellow believers, one who loves fellow believers, loving one another as brothers and sisters. Emotional. There's that word again. Connecting. Are you connected? Do you feel connected to, so much, to people in this church? I think that's what we're talking about. And I, we need that, don't we? I want to feel connected to the family of God. It's one thing to come here and to sing together and worship. Hey, oh, hey, brother, how you doing? And we give our little greetings and, and then we go our separate ways and do our separate things and lives and we never really connect. Never really have a, an emotional connection with someone else in the church. I think that's what we all want on a deep level. But I think it's hard to find. For whatever reason, uh, my older brother and his wife and, and our niece just came and visited us for the first time in, uh, well, maybe ever. I have a picture of him. Uh, that's us golfing, uh, but that's a terrible picture. Get that off of there. Hurry. This is my brother, Alan. He was uh, adopted, and then I came along a year and a half later. Um, but he's always been my big brother, and I love him. He's weird, and uh, we don't agree on a lot of things, honestly. We're kind of polar opposites, you know, personality and all this, but guess what? When he comes and visits me and we get in the golf cart and we get out on the links, we pick up like it's old times, you know? It's my brother. I love him. He's a nerd, but I love him. I'm a nerd. And we do weird things. And we talked about, you know, all the weird things we did as kids. He did much weirder things, trust me. But, uh, you know, some of the weird stuff we still do today, you know? We're just two crazy guys. But um, as many differences as we have, which, and there are many, Guess what? We love each other. It's my brother. It's my family. If he needs me, I'm going to be there. 
right? And we just try to love them well. I think that's what God is getting at here, folks, with our relationships with one another in this building. Uh, As brothers and sisters in Christ, listen to this. Our bond is far greater than any human bond, right? I have a brother that he's my family, but our bond with the blood of Jesus Christ is eternal. We are family here. It's greater than any earthly relationship. We are bound by the eternal blood of Jesus Christ. And you know what that should do? That should invoke emotional responses from us. We should see each other and say, man, we're both saved by the blood of Jesus. We're both family. We're bound together forever. We're a forever family. You're going to see this person for eternity. So that should conjure up some love. You don't need to work on that. It's a brotherly love. It's an emotional thing. It's, you know, we can love people in word and deed, you know, and we can love people in action and stuff like that, but there's an emotional aspect of love, I think, that comes from relationship building, not just doing. And I think that's what he's getting at here. You know, Jesus actually said that our love for one another would be the identifying sign of our allegiance to Jesus. This is what people would see in our church and say, wow, there's something different about these Jesus followers that's missing in my life. I want what they have. And Jesus said, they will know you by your love for one another. And he said that, I believe, because he knew that those who were his true disciples, people who were really following after him as their master, would hear his command to love one another, and they would submit to that, they would obey his command, because they are a follower of Jesus. Hey, my master says that I am to love one another. I'm called to it. Guess what? I'm going to do it. To the best of my ability, and by the grace and power of God, I'm going to love people, because that's what devoted followers do. We hear what the Lord asks us, and we do it. He's our master. Jesus loved us. He gave us life. He died in our place. And he says to love those in the household of God. We owe this. I think we owe this to each other. Don't you think? I think that's what Romans 13.8 says. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the entire law. Isn't that interesting? We all have a love debt. Think about that. How many times have we failed to love someone properly? As Jesus has called us to. How many times have we failed to show love to another brother or sister in Christ? Maybe, maybe we just choice, chose to avoid loving someone. Maybe we chose to just ignore someone. Maybe we just chose not to love someone. I've been there. There's been people that I have not loved for whatever reason. 
Well, I think what God is saying is just because you had failed to love people in the past, it's not okay. It's not okay. It's not like you say, well, I missed that opportunity. I think what he's saying is, you still owe me. <laughs> you still owe them. You have a debt of love that you need to repay every day of your life until Jesus comes back. You owe this to your Lord and Master Jesus. You owe this to your brothers and sisters. It's a debt. We always talk about, oh God, I can never repay you for all that you've done. We just sang about that, right? God's saying, well, there's one way. You can love the family of God. And I think that brings glory to God. And that's what demonstrates to the world that we belong to Jesus. He says also, number three, to be compassionate and tenderhearted. I can't help but think of Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 when I hear those words. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. There's the example. It's easy to be kind and tenderhearted towards someone that you love, that you get along with. But I don't think this passage was given for those times. <laughs> I don't think it was given for times of peace. There are passages that talk about love still more. If you're loving someone, great. Keep doing it and do it even more. But I think he wrote this because he understands there is going to be conflict in churches. Even if you look at most of the New Testament letters, it's written to address conflict. People at odds with each other, or churches divided, or, you know, factions. almost said fractions. Probably fraction, too. But, you know, there's a lot of turmoil and, and struggle and strife because it's a spiritual entity. There's going to be spiritual battles. There's going to be, Satan's going to want to sneak in. He's going to want to split and divide and cut. You know, that's the, how he operates. We should expect that. It was started way back in the beginning, and it continues, it's alive and well today. And so that's why I think we have this command to be kind, to be tender-hearted. The early church was a diverse group, as we've already talked about. There are a lot of issues. Trying to meld all of these uh, cultural differences, economic differences into this church, social differences, it was all there. You had Jewish believers, you had, you had pagans that came to Christ, you know, and so there's different worlds coming together. And now God says we're all one. There is no Jew or Greek. We're one body, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, right? How do you meld all of those? You don't just drop your differences. You don't just all of a sudden stop and just start changing the way you see everyone. It takes time. We all still have a flesh. We all still have a sin nature, right? And we're always going to be drawn to those things, especially depending on how you were raised or uh, how you were brought up. And so we all still possess a sin nature. We always still need to be on guard. There are those times when we don't feel like being tenderhearted or forgiving to one another. Surely you've had an experience like that. You'd rather maybe throat punch someone than hug them. I don't know. Maybe there's that trifling sister that said that thing about you, right? And you said, oh, no, she didn't. I'm going to extend the right hand of fellowship to her after the service today. You've probably had experiences like that. Being a, being a believer, 
doesn't mean we stop being a human. You don't just all of a sudden stop sinning or stop having these feelings or stop being emotional. Stop reacting to things. It's just part of being human. Still having a sin nature. And so obviously we need this command. Do you ever, do you ever surprise yourself at how you still respond to things or to people or events or situations? Not so much good vibes sometimes, right? Get some bad vibes. And I'm surprised sometimes. I shouldn't be, but I'm, I surprise myself sometimes when I see how I react to people or situations. And I think, wow, I guess I still need to grow in the Lord. I still need Jesus. Rescue me, Lord. Because that old man rears his ugly head, right? The old man, the old nature. There he is again. Being a curmudgeon, Armstrong, you know, get off my lawn. You know I'm going to be 50 this week. Aren't you excited for me? I just learned that you can apply for AARP at 50. <laughs> I also learned that I'm not going to do that. I don't, you know, that 10% discount can wait. But the older we get, sometimes the, the less tender-hearted we get, Right? So, we need this call. And so when Peter calls believers to be loving and compassionate, you know, uh, when you know what goes on in, in church life, you think, I don't know. Especially if there's somebody that's wronged you or did you wrong or some situation. It's hard, guys. Uh, Dave Anderson says this is all counterintuitive. When someone has hurt us, our natural feelings are anger, bitterness, perhaps even hatred. Forgiveness and tender feelings are the furthest things from our mind, right? Thank you for being honest with that. Can't always help that. So what's a follower of Jesus to do when you find yourself hurt or offended or angry or at odds? because of another person in the church. Well, you just avoid them. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> here's what you do. It's real simple. Colossians 3, 12, and 13. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. If you don't feel like being compassionate, put it on anyway. Do it anyway. Put on a heart of compassion. That's what God's saying. If you don't feel like it, well, put it on. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think it's good to acknowledge our feelings I think we need to understand why we feel the way we feel at times, right? And I think we need to validate one another's feelings as well. We can empathize, right, with people and understand why someone might feel a certain way. It takes work to do that. It takes humility to do that. But this is what God says to do. At the end of the day, whether you feel like it or not, you've got to put these things on. You have to choose, to show compassion. You have to choose to forgive. 
If you have, need to have a, your, your pity party, then have the pity party. That's okay. But move on. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this meme going around, but it's a picture of uh, Jim Caviezel when he played Jesus and Mel Gibson. Have you seen this picture? And it's usually captioned at the bottom with me trying to explain to Jesus how my day has been so bad. <laughs> you know, you see, Lord, I've had my week has been so tough. And it's like, you know, talking to a bloodied and brutalized Jesus. So I think about that sometimes when I find myself complaining or upset or angry about someone or something. I just think about taking it to the Lord. Uh, and I think that's how we do it, guys. You got to take it to Jesus first. Take it to the Lord. He, there's nothing you can't share with him. There's nothing he doesn't already know. And he's a sympathetic high priest, right? He's a mediator. He's the one that says to come to him. Cast all your care on him. Why? He cares for you. Lay your burdens at his feet. He wants you to. He invites you to bring them to him. But that's what we have to do in every situation where we find ourselves experiencing struggle or strife or turmoil in the church. Or in our home with our spouse. Or any relationship for that matter. Jesus knows exactly what it's like to experience what we're experiencing. When we're able to forgive and feel compassion for people who have hurt us, we know that God is alive and well within us. We didn't do it. He did. You ever had an experience like that? When you just chose to love. You chose to forgive. You chose to move towards someone. When everything in you, your flesh and your, and, and your nature says to run away right? Protect yourself or to harbor the feelings and to be angry and to stay in this relationship uh, from a distance. When you choose to submit to Jesus' command to love one another, that's when you know God's alive and well in your life. And that brings us to the final point this morning, and that is to be humble in spirit. Peter says that all of you be harmonious or like-minded, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble, or humble in spirit. Because a person that is humble in spirit or has humility of mind will consider the needs of other people. They'll be thinking about others. I've heard it said that humility isn't thinking, is it, uh, uh, humility is not thinking of yourself, it's uh, thinking of yourself less. Right? So it's not that you don't ever think about yourself, but you are thinking about other people more than you think about yourself and your own needs. That's really difficult in our uh, me-first culture today. But that's what he's talking about. Philippians 2 tells us to have the, the same mind or the same attitude that Jesus Christ had when he humbled himself. Remember that? When he became a man and he laid down his life for the world. There is no greater act of humility the world has ever seen or ever will see than God becoming a man. It doesn't get more humble than that. Amen? That's it. You'll never find anything greater. No greater act of humility. The divine taking on mortality. 
It's incredible. It blows our minds. Because when Jesus took on human flesh, we know why he took on human flesh, right? It wasn't just to sympathize with our weaknesses. It wasn't just to know what it's like to, to live as a human and to experience all that he did, though that is a great uh, reason why he did that. He gave his life. He took on flesh to give his life and to die for us. To die for us. And I think that's, that's the key to humility, guys. You've got to die to yourself first. Die to our reputation as Jesus did. Die to our own desire for power, our, our own control. Lay down our life for others. That's humility. That's the example of Jesus. That's the calling to have the same attitude that Jesus had when it comes to how you see other people. And when you see what Jesus did, this is a great way to filter uh, relationships and situations in your life. When you, when you look to Jesus, as we're called to, and you see His humility, when you see God taking on human flesh and dwelling among men, taking on mortality, uh, experiencing all that He did, and then suffering and dying in our place, when you see what He did for us, and you see His humility... Is there someone that we can't forgive? Is there, is there any person on the planet that uh, we are too good to stoop down to help them? Is there someone that uh, we're too proud to forgive? Someone that uh, we're too important to serve? Some people that are maybe so beneath us that we're unwilling to take the time to invest in them. We, we still kind of tend to gravitate to uh, those uh, different classes, I think, today. Social classes and what. Even in the church, I think James addresses that. Recall when James said, you know, when the, the poor man comes and you give him the back seat and the rich man comes and you give him the... The front seat is that it should not be this way. And God is saying, I'm not a respecter of persons. Neither should you be. You want to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus? You want to give off good vibes, the God vibes? The kind of vibes that I think Jesus gave off everywhere he went. You notice that people were drawn to him because of his God vibes, because of his love, his compassion, his forgiveness, his grace. People wanted to be around Jesus. That's what I think Peter's getting at here. If you're a follower of Jesus, you want to emulate him, give off the God vibes. And we'll conclude with this, but uh, here's the reason in verse 12. Look down at verse 12 and, and, and verse 7. Look at verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Why? So that your prayers will not be hindered. Well, then look at verse 12. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ear attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against evildoers. What's the motivation? Husbands, why should you give honor to your wife? So your prayers aren't hindered. Christians, why should you 
get along with other believers and love them and show compassion and be harmonious so that God will be attentive to your prayers. I find that interesting that our, our relationship with our spouses and with other believers is directly tied to the effectiveness of our prayers. Have you been praying for something lately? Anybody that's been on your heart, any situation on your heart? Uh, I've been praying for a lot of stuff lately. There's a lot going on. I don't want anything to hinder my prayers because there's a lot riding on it, right? And I don't know exactly how this plays out. We'll uncover this more next week, but as far as it depends on me, I'm going to live with peace with all people. As far as it depends on me, I'm going to live at peace with all people. I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to go out of my way, if I can, to be harmonious. Because I want God to hear my prayer. Because I pray, you want me, you'll want that for me too, because I pray for you guys. We pray for one another. Have you ever thought that maybe God's not hearing my prayer? Maybe I feel like God's not answering my prayer. Feel like none of my prayers are, are being heard. Sometimes we feel like that. Maybe there's droughts in your life where you feel like that. Have you ever thought that maybe it's a direct, uh, a direct response to a falling out of a relationship that you have? Maybe you, you aren't honoring your wife, guys, and so God isn't attentive to your prayer. Maybe there's a relationship with someone else that you've not gotten right, that you're not showing love and compassion to. And maybe God's saying, well, until you show them love and compassion, I will not be attentive to your prayer. I think God does work that way. He's not obliged to listen to every prayer and answer all of our requests just because we're his children. Would you do that for your kids? Let's hope not. I don't always feel like being a peacemaker. Um, Sometimes I feel like making war. You ever feel like that way? You ever have feuds with people or, you know, even in the church, there are times when there's been people when that it's been a struggle. It's been a struggle because we didn't see eye to eye. We had differences. And uh, through failure, time and again, and learning and growing and seeing God's commands and seeing God work in my heart and see how he's forgiven me and shown me grace and brought me along over the years and still brings me along, he continues to soften my heart. And I pray that he does the same for you this morning. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for this admonition to have attitudes as followers of yours that demonstrate to the world that we love you, that we're following you, we're trying to be like you. It's not easy, Lord, and you know that. It was not easy for you to say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. It was not easy to be crucified on a cross and to shed blood and to die for a people that didn't even want it, who hurled insults and ridiculed and mocked you. And so as your people, as followers of yours, Lord, please shine in our hearts. Teach us this. Teach us to love. Help us to look to you when we struggle with other relationships or other situations in our life. And help us to be a people known for their love. 
we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.